Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's Thursday afternoon. You know what that means. It's time for the AEW Dynamite review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by Michael Hamlet to discuss everything that happened on last night's show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple, iTunes, whatever it's called these days, Spotify, Amazon Music, uh, for Daily Wrestling Podcasts, where we not only preview and review Dynamite, this is Rampage Baby, but also Raw Smackdown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0. Use premium live events. We have wrestler interviews. We sometimes answer your wrestling questions. We have roasting roundtable discussions. And we also host a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on Wrestle culture hamlet sometimes it gets a bit feisty on these podcasts mm. times we share the exact same brain i suspect this week is the latter what are your general sweeping thoughts on dynamite before we get into the gears you can find my general sweeping thoughts at whatclutch.com forward slash wwe uh if you want to go looking for the ups and downs as we say sometimes we worry when me and you do these it just becomes basically a script for what we're going to talk about in the podcast I landed on more ups than downs on this show, and yet the experience was one of it kind of sucking ass, actually. Um, I thought this was an absolutely terrific go-home show. I don't know if you noticed this. There's 11 matches on full game. Please, dear God, let it stay that way. And Dynamite acknowledged all of them, every single one of them. That is no mean feat, and it is a credit, I think, to Tony Khan for the pacing and what to dedicate time to and what not to. Uh, loads of the stuff that was focused upon was worse than some of the stuff that got 15 seconds. <laughs> Uh, I don't think this is a particularly great show, and I'm looking forward to discussing why individually, because the matches, the in-ring was solid to great, and that often fools you, I think. Yeah, my looking at this um, from the very dry perspective of the go-home show, I would say that my investment in two full-gear matches was enhanced. Nothing else, really, so I don't know what it accomplished. My general feeling watching the show is I was genuinely and generally just a bit bummed out. It felt so small. It felt so small. Like the the statistic, and I've got an even better, bleaker one, Jesus Christ, for you later on. But the start, it's the last time they um, ran Bridgeport, Connecticut on the uh, 23rd of February, I believe. They drew just just shy of six thousand. I'm thinking five nine nine five, right? Mm-hmm. This time they drew it was on WrestleTix yesterday. I didn't see the final standing, but like two nine sixty or something like that. Mm-hmm. So off half of the people who went in February have either gone off the product or were busy or like many of us in this Western world or everywhere are struggling because god damn it 
the amount of inflation and costs and everything going up and up and up is just absurd, absolutely absurd. But ultimately, if there was something amazing happening in your town and you loved it, you'd kind of go and see it. Yeah. Uh, that's my prevailing opinion. Um, was it was it your gag years ago or somebody else that said, oh, awful lot of uh, Christian Cage fans at these Ring of Honor shows because I'm seeing a lot of blue darts. On I'm seeing a lot of blue darts out of mine. Like... I can't. We talked about this over the virtual desks. We're still virtual this week. Um, I if if this is the case with these AW shows because the crowd the crowd was like noticeably quieter. But I'm loath to blame crowds. You got to you got you know you re react to the product you're receiving ultimately. Um, I want to be fooled that these buildings are full. It's not just that the crowds are diminishing and the markets are soft, which nerds like us can look up on the internet. Just don't show me it on camera. I'm sick of seeing that side of the building that faces the ramp. The AW shoots quite a lot because of that nice ringside diagonal shot they cut to quite a lot which WWE doesn't use and i like it stop showing me all those goddamn empty seats because the black lighting isn't fooling anybody this is like three weeks on the spin now it's a bit quieter in the building why oh it's because of these like cavernous empty gaps there must be too many people on the hard camera side that need shifting over just give them better seats it's ridiculous that there's been certain times when i've read in the observe the attendance of a wwe show and again it's a couple of years ago now because their attendances are genuinely really impressive now but i'm thinking how you've yeah. made you know, there were eight thousand in this building they can't be they can't have been three thousand they just can't but they're massive there's like roman reigns promos cut into nobody yeah like when you would see like literally not a single person but there he is cutting this promo to the world and being presented as like the biggest star in the industry in a, in a massive packed building yeah they need after three years it's time it's time to really consider what the production um is and if it needs to change ultimately you can't well you can if you wwe disguise empty seats and a cold product and low attendance but yeah the darkness it felt like in 1999 nitro except quiet and what an absolute indictment that is i was just watching some really cool stuff but the general atmosphere and vibe would just it just felt small mm. it just felt miles and miles away from the the debut and i know that the um the debut and the three-year anniversary happening in Washington, the contrasts there were particularly stark, but it's really starting to like um, diminish my enjoyment of the shows and my belief in the brand and they need to do something. I don't know what it is. You know what it might be? Hmm. I'm currently drafting um, an article entitled 10 Genius Fixes, very put myself over with this, and uh, <laughs> that Tony Khan must implement to save the AEW magic or, you know, there's a better working title. I've just forgot the exact phrasing. They're about to get a monumental rights fee increase, or at least they're going to do better than they're doing right now. Mm -hmm. There is no one free agent, other than you know potentially CM Punk, but for obvious reasons, that they should spend that money on who's going to make a difference. Biting the bullet and taking away easy logistics and finances it's all very easy for me to say i'm not in the business of this at all but god damn it like stop hitting the same ones every single time you've yeah. got that new money don't use it on talent you've got too many you've got too many as it is really bite the bullet and try and invest in new markets and making the show feel vibrant again because my god that could really have some effect on uh, on that note, and I feel like we might as well talk about it here because it's related, and it wasn't enough of a segment for us to really cover in the guts of the review. Um, London, Baddington's 2023. Uh, that graphic reveal told me two things. Number one, somebody jumped the gun last week 
saying that there was going to be news this week because they blatantly had no news. And if they did, they wouldn't have just revealed something as vague as London. Um, but do you think that not just the underserviced uh, West Coast and underserviced vastness of Canada, because it's been Toronto and Nout, and we know from WWE that that is an entire country that when WCW was neglecting it, WWE could benefit from. You need to look at 1997, how they could do tapings across the border every other week, highlights how much strong that market was. But with the UK, with Japan, you would assume, the forbidden door has been kicked open long enough. With other areas such as that, could 2023 be the year where AEW, with the TV rights secured domestically, becomes a more uh, international product in a way that's really refreshing for it? Because I think it's starting to feel like time. And I know that like we were just talking yesterday about the potential tour, or maybe not being as simple as Craven Cottage because Tony Khan owns the building. Is that a sign of things to come, do you think? Because I think the product would massively benefit from it. Well, I hope so. He's already used the money he has now. Company-generated funds to have signed Punk and Danielson, and most recently to have tied down the guys he considers his core nucleus of talent, um, Jericho Mox. Mm. Uh, potentially, he denies it, but if he's going to MGF, the rumour is that he has signed it. Obviously, that's why they're going with him um, so strongly at present. But, you know, in character, MGF has, has to deny this. Where else can the money go? Like, really invest in this thing because it's like these atmospheres are starting to really diminish the overall vibe of the product, so much so that when there's some really cool stuff happening, it doesn't feel big. It just feels, oh, that was really exciting. Now, that's really quite dramatic. This product feels really, really cold at the minute, and we'll delve into why momentarily. But it's odd. Uh, just, just to say, by the way, it's odd. I would do a segue, mate. Oh, sorry. So I, I blame the Zoom call for that. Do the segue. Do the segue. I just talk with you. What are you going to say? I was going to say, Tony Khan was in the building for that first um, incredible 2016 New Japan show. And then for the next three years, they stayed exclusively on the West Coast and completely killed the market. Yes. So he's like, there's the difference in front of him as to how not to do it. Like, in almost the same time period as well. Remember the elite cutting that promo going like, uh, 2019 is going to be a big year. And it was against all those empty bleachers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New Japan was dead in America now. Like, uh, it just, would be worth him remembering that. The thing is, right, I will happily put my analysis and insight of creative is up there with anyone's. I will concede that I could probably sit down and have a three-minute conversation with someone um, doing the logistics for AEW, and they could very carefully explain to me, your ideas are stupid, they were tanking, <laughs> here's why. But from the outside looking in, if you've got all this money coming in, and even Meltzer's a bit bullish about this now, where he was a bit of a... Uh, he's worrying about AEW's future with Warner earlier this year. Invest in that. Absolutely invest in that. Um, because it needs to feel big time, and it needs to feel like really great again. Um, I'm going to delve into why after we talk about the really great stuff and um, yes. opened this show it was chris jericho um and sammy guevara the sex gods you know we talk a lot about the elephant in the room with the acclaimed being tag team champions okay there's a lot of discourse i've waded into it this morning on twitter in fact at m sidgwick about the use of a certain tag team who by virtue of not being the acclaimed aren't prominently featured on AEW TV. And a lot of people say that they should be the tag team champions because they are the best tag team in the company. And I agree, the sex gods absolutely should be <laughs> the tag team champions. I'm obviously being half facetious, but the other half of me earnestly believes that they are an incredible tag team. 
it's so weird to say in AEW history because it's three years old, but all the sex gods, the most underrated tag team in AEW history. Yes. I think they're better than Proud and Powerful. Chris Jericho carving out a niche as the Chad Gable of AEW in terms of tag teams he gets over inexplicably is remarkable. Um, he, we've like talked about this before with Hager, obviously, and just wowed at like what a combination they make. Uh, he, like, I don't want to be cruel to Sammy Guevara. This is a slightly facetious take, but I felt like he was reminding Sammy Guevara how to work in this match. It's not like, oh, you know, old, ironically, a very Dax Harwood thing to say this. But it's not about what you do; it's about how you do it, and it's about the you know the where you insert into a match. And Sammy Guevara felt as exciting and dynamic as a performer as he has in about two years over the course of fifteen minutes in this match. Just like this was like layout specialism, the likes of which it takes a veteran such as Chris Jericho to be able to construct. Like some genius, genius stuff in this, and he showed ass all day for it as well. I love the Smoky Mountain DNA. I do have one pretty prominent complaint, and we'll get to that in a statistic that will absolutely blow your tits off. It's mm -hmm. quite incredible, right? Quick rundown of the story of the match. You've probably seen it, but um, just as a reminder, the idea here is that Claudio Castagnoli and Brian Danielson are absolute in-ring doyens who, in a fair fight, the sex gods are utterly incapable of doing anything. They express this story, beat with some wonderful stuff where... Claudio is just doing some squats while in a standing deadlift suplex. It's absolutely ridiculous. Floyd the Bat makes his presence felt, takes out Danielson. I believe that gives the heels the um, heat spot that carries us through the commercial break. And then the action really intensifies as the baby faces make the comeback. One element of which is just so great. Brian Danielson has got this incredible ability, right, to do like such an awesome brawler as we really discovered at um, Anarchy in the Arena. It's obviously possibly the best technical wrestler of all time. He's a great spot fest, high spot guy. His ability, and he did this to amazing effect in the WrestleMania 37 triple threat, to like, you can't see his dives coming, and when they come at you, and in this case, it came directly into the ringside camera, in Sammy Guevara's face, it just blows your mind. It has yeah. that, oh, where's that come from? That's awesome. So Danielson did a bit of that. Ultimately, Jericho is thwarted from using the bat by um, Claudio, who in a really cool visual just drapes it over his shoulder as he's locked in the uh, sharpshooter. I think it was a sharpshooter. And he gets the submission win. And I'm going to remind me when we talk about the Bones match, right, mm -hmm. um, to bring up this bleak statistic um but what were your thoughts on the match because it kind of started a bit slower than the and um, the Utah and claudio match from a couple of weeks ago but this just evolved into something pretty great for me i thought this was a fantastic bit of business um not just for the work which was mostly all great and um, there was a couple of sequences by the end where they're either uh like kick out stoppages like pinfall stoppages things like that the way it all came together was just master craftsmanship in action. You've got like three veterans of all of this and a Sammy Guevara that, like, as we've seen before, is, fa is fabulous at following advice. Like, it turns out, this might be too basic a take, it turns out he probably just needed longer under Chris Jericho's learning tree than he was perhaps afforded, which is going to happen sometimes with talent development, like how soon you kind of let them go, because seeing him brought back in a little bit here was honestly, like, just to repeat it, the most I felt for him as a wrestler in forever. Um, and I think that was part of the story here. They were kind of showing you what you probably won't get at the pay-per-view, which is sort of 
which is good booking, I think. Um, Chris Jericho takes another loss. The JAS take another loss, but Jericho's not daft. Like, they kind of get the wins more when it matters, and you sense that Jericho will retain. And Sunday will be more about... So Sunday, I think, will be more about the two teams that we saw here fraying in the ways that they will. Sammy and Jericho as the as the heels and not being on the same page when it counts and Jericho starting to get a little bit suspicious of Sammy's motivations and Danielson and Claudio being undone by competitive fire, by the will to win and that moment where they like they have a fight with each other. And I would imagine there's going to be a spot on Sunday where they're trying to reverse the hammer and anvil on each other because neither wants to be the one to take it. Like It's just competitive fury. It's not can they coexist? It's just they want to fight. But there was none of that here as if to kind of fool you into thinking it's not going to happen on Sunday. So I thought it was genuinely quite well booked. I'm starting to think that Casignoli is going to be the final battle opponent for Jericho. And the fact that he doesn't need to figure into the finish on Sunday protects him a little bit for that December pay-per-view as well. So not only was it well worked, I thought it was pretty well booked as well. It was uh, There was just loads and loads of meat on the bone and way more than I expected. Yeah, um, I think that they're going to explore that bit on Sunday because I think Claudio's going to get pretty... Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like, irate? I don't know. He's going to feel like it is his title to mm. win. And he's almost entitled to it now because he got cheated out of it at the first place at Grand Slam. And following last night's Dynamite, this is in fact the second time he has tapped out Chris Jericho yeah. tag team match. Um, so yeah, they can do something with that. Um, ultimately, that can, in fact, in isolation, if they hadn't done it so often, excused the fact that a champion got beaten. But we're going to, uh, again, talk about this later because it is a really mind-blowing stat that I've uncovered. I'm really an arsehole. Put myself over big time here. Uh, we've got a brief um, video package. Um, vintage Darby Allen. Uh, yeah. in which it's black and white, he's in a body bag, Sting picks him up, and then he gets free and sits up front um, while Sting says full gear will be showtime. I'm always going to pop so much for that. Um, Sanjay Dutt, Lethal, Satnam Singh, and Jeff Jarrett, what a combination of goddamn names. I've always been watching this on the monitor backstage. Jarrett says that it's been a quarter of a century that I've been wrestling this man. Full gear will be the last time. Don't believe him. Shut up, Sanjay. Um... Funny that, like, I, I just admit to my biases at this point. If you're ever going to babyface those A-level media studies Darby Allen promos, it's when he unzips a body bag and bits a guitar fall out with his bloodied head. Yeah. Like, this match is going to rule. Um, I, I keep wanting to believe that the clouds are parting in AEW. and never did I feel it more than when that car drove off literally into clear skies with, like, Darby still wearing the body bag. I was like, yeah, this is going to absolutely bang on Saturday. By the standards of his usual thing, this is, like, really quite witty and well yeah. Um, and again, nice segue, witty and well done. The acclaimed music video, like as soon as I saw this, I was like, "Are we in for an all-time of dynamite?" No, not really. But this was absolutely <laughs> yeah. fantastic. If you've not already seen it, please check it out. It's so great. Um, it cuts to Bones and Caster impersonating broadcasters in a backstage um, dynamite segment. Shockingly, didn't get interrupted, so not very authentic. But you know, it's not the point. It's parody. You know, it's just a bit of fun. It's not meant to be realistic. It would have been interrupted if it was and they are interviewing captain insano yeah and then uh, there's a caller and it's uh keith lee and swerve in our glory and obviously um it's not it's, uh, an obvious riff on the water boy um cameo that um paul white did just great effect mm. i hated the big show right mm. and i grew out of adam sandler movies when i was 17 that scene pops for me every single time yeah just the deadpan of 
How old are you, kid? 11, 12, uh, like I'm 28 or whatever he is. <laughs> uh, incredulous look on White's face, and he paces himself. It's fantastic. So when Keith Lee and Swerve, no, uh, Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland, or more accurately, actors impersonating them, ask mm. Captain Insane what their chances are of winning, you get the laugh, you get the call back, and then you get these like really eerie Tim and Eric style zoom ins. It's really <laughs> funny. And then you get a really, really good little rap song. Yeah. From Max Caster. And it's genuinely really good. And I think every other wrestling rapper should possibly retire because he's clearly the very best at this. On this, because I'm looking forward to talking about the match as a different thing altogether. Um, this was like I like I think this was multifariously successful because it was funny for all those reasons you described. People like, you know, like actually popped in the building for the Captain Insano visual, and this crowd weren't coming up for much. So they've nailed, obviously, a <laughs> they've nailed nostalgia with the millennials. Who would have thunk it? I mean, like, yeah, yeah. absolutely spotted that period. But as well, like, I know I've been the one fantasy booking, like, the end of the acclaimed title run because it just sounds cruel and nasty. But I'll tell you what this was. Cruel and nasty to a Keith Lee who has tried to get Swerve back on the beaten, like, back on the beaten track. Like, Keith Lee has, like, shook hands with the acclaimed and tried to say, how are you, Swerve? Like, don't go needlessly nasty here. Like, we just want to win the match. We just want to win the belts. This is the motivation for him to turn. It wouldn't even be a switch. They were, like, doubling down on the abuse towards Keith Lee when it's been sneaky swerve up to this point. And he just gets it, like, he gets both barrels in this. It, he's got to have a look to himself at the weekend and think, why am I sticking up for these two? These absolute jaybrones. Like, if if and when he turns, I think this video will actually serve as the motivation for it, and Keith Lee could justifiably explain it. That would like all of this was low, and there was no need to do that. But it was really well, your really cruel, mean spirited, and wildly unpopular fantasy booking. You might have manifested it because Bones apparently might have aggravated an old shoulder injury in this match. Obviously, oh. that was limb targeted, so it might have just been genuinely tremendous work. And that was the best part of a match that. Wasn't blow away great, but by design, it was a very story-based match, a building block ahead of full gear. Um, throughout, obviously, as I've just said, Swerve Strickland targeted um, Anthony Bourne's shoulder and arm. Did a really good job. His body language through a pretty sort of static heat spot was still so compelling because he's just got this really sort of sinister charisma about him, Swerve. Um, so he's so great. He didn't get off to the best start. They were trying to do the spot where a lot of people can't get on the same wavelength as Swerve Strickland, understandably, because he moves and he's very deceptive in his rope running and he just moves in a completely different pattern to any other wrestler. Um, it's very cool, incredibly cool when it clicks um, because they look like they've been deceived. When it doesn't click, and it's quite hard to click for reasons I've just stated, it can feel like it falls apart. And in this case, Anthony Bowens really should have improv this, jumped into, after a two-second hesitation, um a flying head scissors or a head scissors type takedown and i audibly heard fans groan in the arena they will take what is essentially cooperative dance which is what professional wrestling is albeit very physical and painful if it looks realistic in its own unrealistic context if that makes any sense it doesn't to a lot of people hence why they don't get wrestling but this was way way too far it just looked really really bad like amateurish but they recovered to tell a really conversely like mature slow burn story um concentrated on the arm and the fans did get into it as much as this set of fans was going to do on this particular night and um, they really did sympathize with mac uh, with anthony bones who took a clean 
pinfall at the end of it. Give me your thoughts on the match, and then I'm going to drop the statistic. I thought this turned into a really, really cool match after, as you've identified, some, I wouldn't even say chemistry issues, just, yeah, it, it probably is down to swords for the Cali. I hadn't thought about it like that, but it probably is that. Because um, I thought it turned into a really fine bit of business, I thought, by the end. Um, Swerve is the more, I like stories, simple as they are in wrestling, when uh, you can play with the fact that somebody is a better singles wrestler than a tag one, and that's kind of been at the root of Swerve and our glory all along, versus the acclaimed being completely together. Uh, so it stands to reason that Swerve can beat Anthony Bowens in a straight one-on-one -on -one match, even though he's the heel. Uh, Caster and Billy Gunn being taken out early because of Billy Gunn's over-exuberance, trying to get to Swerve, allowed for this to just be a straight-up match. Um, and I thought the limb work, obviously now if it turns out Bowens was injured for real, that's a shame, but I thought the arm and shoulder work was absolutely tremendous. I wanted to think, because at first he targets the fingers on the stairs, which just ties into Swerve's obsession with being a sick of scissoring, as I am at this point. So, like... You're a miserable bastard, but carry on. I know. Going for that on the stairs, I thought was just a nice touch. Uh, but then once he sort of extends that to the arm as well, you can very easily visualise Anthony Bowens going into full gear with everything wrapped. You know, the Batista in 2005 body wrap was like, there is not a bit of his body that you can't target at this point. Bowens for the tag match, as he was all out once they went for the knee, is perfect as that baby face in injured peril. Um, I hope it is a work. I hope this news breaking is something that's been fed to enhance the heat on... I have my suspicions, by the way, that this is the case with Kevin Owens at Survivor Series, but I hope that this is fed news for the match to just have more heat on Saturday and that Bowens is in fact fine and there's just extra body parts to work because him being this broken down guy that is trying and trying and trying only adds to the cruelty if Keith Lee turns or if Swerve really sticks the boot in where he shouldn't, where it goes beyond sportsmanship. And I thought that just played brilliantly at the finish as well. Bowens has got loads of fire, kicks out of there. It was the stomp, wasn't it, that he kicked out of? But he couldn't kick out of the second finish because in AEW, wrestlers have got multiple ways to put you away. So I loved how this played out too. I worry that the stat you're about to drop is going to undermine my enthusiasm for this spe specific pairing, but I thought they came together great by the end. It might, it might, it might, it might. So on two matches in, two AEW slash ROH title holders get pinned. Mm. Okay. I've been wondering how sort of rife this is in AEW and how that might impact your perception of the title's prestige or the champion's sort of worthiness to hold it, the idea of stakes and gravity and should they not get sort of, not punished in storylines, but fewer opportunities or whatever, right? Okay. There have been from now between all out 2022, September 5th and today, or sorry, yesterday, um, November 16, 10 weeks, right? Mm -hmm. Across those 10 weeks, right, 11 AEW or ROH title holders have directly, directly been pinned or submitted on AEW television. That does not include, oh that does not include, there's even more AEW slash ROH title holders who have lost matches by virtue of being in a trio or a tag team, right? Yeah. But the number of AEW slash ROH title holders who have been directly pinned or submitted in matches is just, just, just over a rate of one a week. This is literally a weekly occurrence, and it's something they said from day one that they are rarely going to do because the titles have to mean something. I'm going to give you the list now, okay? Yeah. 
AEW Interim Women's Champion Tony Storm, September 14. AEW Trios Champion Ray Phoenix, September 23. AEW Trios Champion Ray Phoenix, November 2. AEW Trios Champion Pelta, Penta El Zero Miedo, September 14. AEW Trios Champion Penta El Zero Miedo, October 26. AEW Trios Champion Pack, October 12. ROH World Champion Chris Jericho, October 26. ROH World Champion Chris Jericho, November 16. ROH Pure Champion Daniel Garcia, October 5. ROH Trios Champion Dalton Castle, October 18. AEW World Tag Team Champion Anthony Bones, November 16. So this, great research, by the way. Um, doing the work, Sage, doing the work. It was for a list as well as a podcast. Well, it's very good. And it's obviously going to end up on Twitter as well. Yeah. It identifies two problems here as well. It's not just the philosophy of pinning champions, because I do think context is everything. You always say it. There's a good and bad version of everything. Um, I can remember. I can pull out with fat air Chris Jericho losing to Scorpio Sky and how valuable that was, for example. Right? So there's always a good way to do things. I, I use that exact example in the list to understand. Hey, hey. Uh, says. We're not even in the office together. You haven't that. But... The other point this illustrates, and who <laughs> I always think about Mick Foley being raging with it in 2001, is that there's too many belts. Mm -hmm. If every match has got a champion in it, then it stands to reason that a load of champions are going to start getting beat. And that's where we're at now. This in Ring of Honor integration, bad. The integration of all these belts, bad. The addition of titles when so few are actually needed in a single functioning promotion, bad. Bad, bad, bad. And this was always where it was destined to land on, because as a third byproduct of that, more belts makes bookers lazier. This is historically proven true over and over and over and over again. It's the reason why from the earliest days, you especially, very vo like vocally on these podcasts, expressed caution at the time and the place for introducing even a secondary title. Like before we knew how well Cody would do with it, for example, yeah. there was nervousness around it because of what where that road leads and look where that road has led. That was the very first really critical article i wrote of aew was an editorial when they in first introduced the tnt um i was really unhappy with the idea and then when they smashed it i became yet more convinced that this company was invincible and capable of everything and my god i wish i could revisit those days but we can't as yet um but yeah ultimately is going to later on the show yeah god i know jesus christ uh, what a baby face what an unbelievable baby face she is oh boy oh boy um, so yeah we get the um video package on cargill versus nyla rose i would say it's a condensed version from what they're going to do on the countdown could just as easily be the whole goddamn thing we then get um again just as you said there is a good and bad version of everything this was a good version of a promo train um samoa joe was interviewed by tony Schiavone um to explain his actions and uh he basically said that it's not my actions I should explain. Wardlow's actions should be explained. And they resulted in him paying the price of him getting his ass kicked by May by being basically. He said he refuses to be the victim, like most of the fans here tonight. It was a bit generic for me. That uh, wasn't getting booed enough, so he threw in an each and every one of you just to yeah, make sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, he learned something in the Fed after all. Um, so he didn't um, wait around to be saved. Saved himself. Anyone has a problem, take it up with me. And this obviously summons powerhouse Hobbs and says, I've been the one who's been kicking Wardlow's ass the last several weeks. And yeah, I'm going to talk myself into not liking this. And when I look at my notes here, because him beating up Wardlow doesn't necessarily entitle him to a title shot hmm. when he hasn't really had that many wins, but these, those things don't seem to matter as often as they do. So, you know, just do what you like. Well, you should never drop the rankings. Wardlow interrupts from behind. A bit weird. Um, look, fundamentally, 
wrestling fans will boo whatever if it's bad and they saw Wardlow and Crow from behind and I reckon they perceived him to be a bit of a bitch in this moment because he didn't really get a positive reaction um that was until the brawl gets separated by various members of the locker room and a nice bit of BTE LTST um John Silver who's always been sort of besotted with Wardlow um he used the line hate to see him go but love to see him leave okay. uh, about Wardlow he's just like, right okay he kind of looked a little bit um like heart of flutter when he saw yeah. Wardlow. it was like no no you can do what you want actually you can do what you want and what Wardlow wanted to do to all but rescue the segment which was a bit promo trainee WWE was just to do um uh over the top rope somersault planchette and it ruled yeah. it absolutely ruled totally awesome um why Wardlow and Palo Tobs on like on another day why both of these men are perfect as both future AEW champions as reminders that if you've ever read any braun Strowman adjacent copy that this is the company for like the, the little flippy flopper wrestlers that you hear that's complete bollocks and it always has been um and ultimately i think why even when um things look like they're teetering a little bit with wardlow like he's acknowledged as much us dweebs on the internet have been talking about him you know like even when that happens it only takes a bit of physical magic for it to turn around again and that's ultimately that that sort of stuff sir it's star stuff that if you can do that at the click of your finger whether it be something as audacious as a high spot like this or even i think there's a bit of a law now isn't there with wardlow versus all security staff after that big dynamite beat down that week he has no problem taking them out now and i really enjoyed the dark order being there the difference where like it was very clear that he was only i was watching him seeing if he was going to like swing for john silver or swing for 10 and he didn't he just he hates security guards because they've hated him in the past yeah and i really enjoyed that nice little detail moment um funny you mentioned it as a promo train i didn't even consider it as one because you had the explanation of some actions the rebuking of those actions by somebody that kind of feels like in like powerhouse soft case why are you stepping on my dick and then just the simple ass kicking of the baby face i had no problems with any of this and i've absolutely come into line of your thinking here where the three-way was far more shrewd than the singles match in hindsight um joe can work a hot tag match without having to extend his hand for a tag and it'll never feel like somebody's getting a rest spot yeah this, this was absolutely the way to go absolutely that is if you're going to incorporate joe into something and tony gone just seems to love joe because he loves yeah. ring of honor it's one of those things where oh god ring of honor jesus christ i'm sick of this yeah because sharika rules actually i'm just <laughs> it's duality of man with this bloody ring of honor stuff and i hold my hands up um in case i appear to be a hypocrite because sometimes i absolutely am uh we got one of the best baby face promos of the year and think oh. that covers and it was delivered by someone who kind of needs to be a heel to get the new expensive star over so yeah it continues to be um risky at, at times honestly i kind of like the storytelling philosophy of pick who you like mm. but wrestlers feel like they're in the uh in the right and sometimes shades of gray works i'm going to again be a hypocrite because i'm going to bury that philosophy later on but you know everything in context good and bad version of everything else but Britt baker basically makes me be homer simpson with the flag except it's got the aew logo on it and it's got the um the spray paint splatter match graphic on the background as well not yeah. this uh square bracket stuff I want, I want the spray paint. I want the multicolors. Because Britt Baker is talking about how she earned opportunities. She wasn't handed them. And in this line, oh man, yeah. She might not have wrestled at MSG, but she wrestled in Daly's place during the pandemic. Oh my oh, God. Yes. What a line this was. What a line this was. 
how do you turn that environment yet again into a badge of honor it was really grossly uh, unethical basically yeah. which you know people forget about but you know that's what time does it calluses things and it was a residency that they had to use because it was unethical yet more to do it in front of people and um it was kind of bleak but it wasn't because the amount of creativity coursing through that company and Britt baker was so good in this era as well um that she just made this a really special statement for me she said that saraya would know nothing about it um she respects saraya my god the heel in this program did a better job of the baby face thing of putting over the opponent i will say saraya did something to this effect later on and kind of a mind make good um but she basically just signs off by saying that um baker is the heart soul and pulse of aew get the hell out of my house if you can't respect that oh i mean a great promo is a great promo is a great promo but i can't think of a worse time to deliver one of this quality standard and tone can you imagine if and like this is not really a brit baker thing i think this is a tony khan thing maybe can you imagine daniel bryan says fight for your dreams and your dreams will fight for you and then rather than coming out and power bombing on the apron kevin owens comes out and says y'all want to talk about fighting I've been fighting everybody all these years while you've been sitting as a general manager. I know more about what it is to fight to be a WWE superstar than you ever will, actually, Daniel. Like, that would be almost as nightmarish as making Shane McMahon your tag partner. Yeah, no. that, Like, it was so important that this impossible, impossible return from injury could in any way be tarnished, especially on that first night. Have they forgotten Paige's story, Soraya's story? Because that's the problem. It's not just that they are teetering close to a double turn or they keep it certainly feels like from a creative standpoint either the wrestlers are being given way too much freedom or tony khan creatively can't quite make up his mind when he sees a, the reaction to a week when saray goes out there and cuts certain promos i don't know which one it is so i don't really know who to lay the blame with here but she's been out like she's been out five years right so 2017 was her last work and even then she'd wrestled like what seven matches before she was in like from the prior break like 18 months so we're talking like a six-year gap since she was a full-time wrestler and she's one of them impossible dream stories like a brian like an edge where technology time and incredible medical advancement has changed the game on these things and when is that never not amazing when is that not the story to tell on your wrestling show and they flipped it into this weird double turn all of this was mine before it was yours I'd like I'm, I'm I'm with you on the point on the night. I think the heat will be out the ass for this match, regardless of which way it goes. But I still don't think this was the combination with which to do it on. Yeah, you've like when she, the pop that Saraya got when she came back was one of uh, excitement that somebody was getting a second bite of this and hope that this was confirming her clearance. That was at the root of that throaty roar for her at Grand Slam. They might have thrown that away, and that's inexcusable to me. Could they, in hindsight, have had, like, took full advantage of that incredibly evocative, emotive story of Soraya making the comeback, and she works maybe Serena Deeb or someone like that, Yeah. then says, right, I've got the confidence now. I can justifiably, in my heart, go after um, Britt Baker because I feel like I've earned the right to call this my house. Having someone 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 and then you build 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 how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study 
people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. To the Baker match because now it just she's I don't know how someone who struggled and being forced to retire from the thing that you love at a criminally early age. You forget how young Paige was because WWE never pushes anyone that young. Yeah. But she was super young. It was heart-wrenching. And I don't know how you contrive to make that person now feel entitled. It's backwards. It's compelling. It's intriguing. Most of the time, it's really well delivered. But it's arse backwards. It's. I, I would even say, right, so you've done inadvertently here or maybe not inadvertently which would be worse but inadvertently you have given Britt baker all the tools and all the arguments to babyface herself in the exact same way you've done with mjf like never has there been a time in aw's history where being an aw original counts just as much as having a title slung more than having most titles slung over your shoulder maybe apart from the world title who cares who the tnt champion is or the ring of honor trios champion is versus if you were there in aw from the start we know now cm punk learned that the hard way yeah right that's what that's what counts. That's stock now in AEW. And Britt Baker is having that moment when her character is on the cusp of being this incredible heel for the betterment of Jamie Hayter's babyface progression. So if even if you were playing 4D chess with the Britt Baker character, and this was to show the fans the first vision of the babyface Britt Baker, it's the worst possible time for that because you're about to pull the trigger on Jamie Hayter as one of the next big babyface in the women's division. So you, you're even potentially like dropping a pipe bomb on haters progression, win or lose against Tony Storm. It's this promo was fantastic, but I honestly, I can't stress enough how much it was the wrong time to be cutting it. I think. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, I'm sorry. One more thing. If you're going to do this, you better line Soraya up with something awesome. And they did not. No, couldn't follow it. It was good. Just couldn't follow this. You absolutely could not follow this. This is just absolutely like make you feel like an absolute AEW freak as I. Yeah. 
Absolute freakazoid city, this. Loved it, but shouldn't have at the exact same time. Um, up next, we got a trios match um, that was just incredibly creative, physically seemingly impossible, but regrettably, the, just the heat at certain times was not there for it, so it didn't really build this incredible climax. It was obviously Death Triangle um, versus Top Flight, um, and they won. Um, without too much of a struggle. I think that was the correct call, mm. um, but I can't possibly go through all of this. You know exactly how this match went if you somehow have missed it. Um, the advantage is wrestle back and forward at a blistering clip. The creativity is off the charts. They do absolutely ridiculous aerials. They give AR Fox and Darius Martin quite a lot of shine. Um, I think this is really well put together and like, it's one of those things where I was thinking about how well put this, how well put together this was, rather than feeling these insane waves of adrenaline and excitement, because they accomplished quite a bit here. They gave AR Fox some time and some shine with some ridiculous rotations of a springboard to the outside. Uh, Darius Martin got a bit more than Dante here because you know they're trying to spotlight him recovering, re recovering, sorry, from injury, and yet despite that quite um resourceful um match plotting that triangle won without too much of a struggle handily and clean as they needed to do because they're trying to fake the idea that they're credible ahead of the um showdown at full gear which we'll tap into um after i get your thoughts on the match so this match was a good example of typically why i prefer to get my empty calories from crisps rather than pro wrestling but it was so endlessly graceful that i was drawn in by it i think this was the best version of a match i typically don't like that much and i think a lot of that was down to the end um, it really really played to my sentimental side with ar fox and darius martin specifically um ar fox because he was as you would working yourself into trying to get a job or at least get a repeat viewing uh, like this was the type of performance where you imagine if he isn't at hashtag all elite he might be on rampage in a couple of weeks so go I get it he was offered a deal at the taping yeah, like, I'm not surprised. Go get it. We've seen countless wrestlers do it, so he absolutely should. And it was good of them to structure so much around him. Darius Martin making yet another comeback after a heartbreaking setback last year immediately. Didn't make these three feel like they could ever compete at a trios level, but sort of reminded that the top flight could be a danger in the tag division any day now. So that was interesting. They felt like somebody that the division will welcome when you've finally finished the Swerve and Our Glory acclaim stuff and FTR have had to go and whatnot. Top flight are there. There was a spot. Like, a lot of this... The, problem, the problems I have with these matches as a rule is that I should gasp more than I do, but it normalizes, and I, I think it happened with Bandido on the show. I think there is a case sometimes where some stuff is normalized when it shouldn't be because it is just too good, and if you were in the building, you'd be not clean on your ass. The one that got me at home was Darius Martin doing the standing back jump onto the middle rope, hands-free. That was Danny he, Martin, wasn't it? Was it Danny Martin, sorry, when he springboarded himself without using his hands. Um, and the the flapjack where he does that insane leap in the air as well to do the leapfrog. But seeing the two of them working back and Darius Martin looking like he hadn't really missed a step coming back off such a long layoff gave me pause to think that there is more to this act than just just being flippy floppers. Uh, but yeah, it was weird. We, we've been saying this for weeks. Why go to so much trouble to bury Death Triangle when you know full well you need to heat them up to a certain extent for this match coming at full gear? The pack hammer stuff remains weirder still when you're going to decide with six days to go, well, less than that, that right now, got to keep them strong. It's a bit WWE. 
why did Mox and Penta happen? Yeah. Like, like they'd already killed Phoenix twice. I just don't understand why that match happened. Anyway, and um, there's one moment actually when Top Flight were trying to do a sequence of the Lucha Brothers, and it felt like it took a while. Yes, to come together. It's like oh, it's getting a bit contrived, lads. But other than that, this is really, 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 really well done. And the no hands thing. How has he done that? Absolutely breathtaking stuff. Um, I'd like to see them run this back at some point because I feel like there's way more to explore. Um, but yeah, after the match, Pac grabs a microphone and says, Look, this is ridiculous. Everyone knows what's going on. Do you not think we've seen your little videos? How <laughs> what the crack is, man, you stupid bastards. Well, no, he's all coming back, man. Just get it our with, and then and the screen comes on. And the match graphic pops up, and there's a blank space next to Death Triangle, and then it's unsnapped. I don't know, some stupid Marvel thing. <laughs> it's they get unsnapped, okay, and you see the elite yeah. uh, next to Death Triangle, huge pep in the arena, and in fact, my heart. And then Park had a really cool line here, some transparency at last. And then the match is official. I'm so glad. That they didn't leave it as a mystery because any bad version of a first dance optics wise would have looked terrible yeah i thought this was a there, there was several different ways that you could have delivered this news but i'm glad the point has been made that they, it was worth advertising rather than keeping as a surprise um i like as well I, I like it anytime a wrestler acknowledges that they actually watch the show they're on because the show that they're on re reflects directly to their line of work so it stands to reason that every wrestler sit down and check two hours or if you're a woman sammy zane could do with doing it indeed they hate it when you point that out when you point out that absolutely basic fundamental plot hole in the wwe storyline of the year which is fundamentally bad but performs well enough that it gets over they hate it when you point that out <laughs> no it's but wrestlers misery guts with a correct opinion that can't even bear the stomach wrestlers should watch wrestlers should themselves keep keep watching tapes like for the women, it's easy. You only need about fifteen minutes a week to see what's going on in your little world. Like it, they should, they should be across this. And I'm glad Pat was, and I love the way that he, he had such disdain in his tone for it as well, um, which I thought worked really well. Did it to you, right? They're going to get a monster pop. It's the elite. Um, the line about transparency was kind of inspired because Tony Khan's about to go into a bunch of press for full gear and do a scrum and. He's a dumbass if he thinks the people aren't going to ask questions and there's a point where no comment won't be enough. You brought them back now. You put Colt Cabana on frigging TV. If you're going to keep saying no comment, you are the arsehole now. That's the difference between you and six weeks ago with that Ariel Halwani farce that Halwani jumped up. Um, is there a... Because it's the elite and they're big into very, very, very big picture stuff. Did you, as a Saga fan and as a law guy, sense that you're supposed to feel like maybe they're a little bit entitled coming back here? Just yeah. the way that Pac delivered this. Like, oh, these bloody, I'm sick of this. Sick years already, man. Like, they're, they're going to be received as these returning heroes. The home team coming back to reclaim the titles, and they will. They will win the titles. But I better. Just, yeah. better. We're going to talk about why they better when we do a full gear preview later on. I just, it's sometimes, not always, sometimes when you roll out the red carpet for a baby face, there's a bit of dissonance there. And I wondered if that was what Pac's, like presentation of this was supposed to reflect i can understand why he feels it. i don't necessarily feel it they did not yeah. lose those titles kenny omega told the story that he really had to destroy himself and 
go through the arduous rehab process to get better and to win them. So they feel like the champions elect for me. And I feel like they, why should they do anything else except come back and reclaim what they fought really, really hard to get, particularly in the case of Kenny Omega? It is, the graphic showed this as well. It is the perfect AW trios match, isn't it? Because as trios, it's electrifying. And as the split tag and singles, these are AW legacy rivalries. Yeah, so it is. It is indeed the perfect return. Done the trios match for fun. It was awesome. Yeah, they did it on the January one, twenty twenty, preceding the greatest three month period of <laughs> national wrestling fandom. Uh, or two months, sorry. Uh, yeah, they did that in the anniversary daily's place. It was just, it was just ridiculous as mm. it expected to be, and this one's going to be even better. I'm certain of it. Um, so yeah, we get that big news, and then. We get um, Ricky Starks talking backstage about the Lance Archer attack and just very quick and um, no need to go through it um, build for their match on Rampage. And then that neatly ties into the other Eliminator tournament um, match. Ethan Page going over Bandito. I'm going to be very careful not to be a hypocrite here, right? Um, they did a bold, clean finish. And Bandido really got over at the same time. I wasn't tremendously thrilled by all of this. It felt a bit sudden and anticlimactic when it ended. But ultimately, Ethan Page got over, got put over big here. And Bandido somehow got himself over. They got the crowd into this when they were really, really cold. Uh, this is just a good bit of business that I was hardly thrilled by. But like the way I put it on Twitter, and you know, the mega fans hopefully will forgive me um, for repeating this take. Bandido gets pops right. And, you know, just the general story of the match was Bandido's incredibly athletically exciting and just as strong as Ethan Page. But Ethan Page is a bit stronger and also a bit of a bastard, so he gets the win. Um, there's a spot, my God, where he's going to do the Avalanche um, Eagles Edge, which is inspired because we saw it last week mm -hmm. win a match effectively. And the arms are trapped. So you think, how can you wriggle out of this? Oh, just by being Bandido and being awesome. Bandido gets like 0 to 60 pops, where yeah. usually other wrestlers have to build a match and build a match to get the pops he gets. They get. Bandido somehow is just so electrifying. He's got such a connection with the crowd that he can do something within two minutes and it feels like they're in the last stretch of great drama. Unreal TV talent. They know that. I hope. It did take a while to sign him, to be fair. Like, almost a full year, actually. Um, but it doesn't matter if they didn't think of that beforehand because they're certainly going to think it now because I thought he looked great in defeat here. And it was a bold, creative choice. I'm a bit conflicted on all of this, you know. Um, Bandido, not a 60 is a great way to describe it because Bandido in there, like, I want to, uh, wins and losses do so matter. I know the rankings aren't what they were, but wins and losses do so matter. Bandido lost to Jericho, lost to Ethan Page and won by banana skin. Ugliest finish imaginable in an AW context on Rampage. So his career is not going well even though what you're left with are the memories of the cool moments from the matches. So it's tricky. It's that thing about what's real and fake and what really matters in pro wrestling because you are getting all these great takeaways. Uh, I kind of felt a bit more like he was sacrificed to the Ethan Page project and he, it was wrong to put him in the tournament in the first place. I get that he makes the bracket flashy and he promises much because by just the listing of his name offers you something. I think he was the wrong guy to put in the tournament. If you had to do what you had to do on Rampage, only for him to lose to Ethan Page, 
I, I don't think it was worth including him in the tournament at all. I think there was a better way to introduce Bandido into the formalities of AEW life than this tournament. Not got a huge problem with with Ethan Page talking his way into the final. I just think there was probably a better heel in the semi, a better baby face in the semi for him to beat. Because um, that was my takeaway after this was I was watching, thinking more about Bandido's plight than I was about Ethan Page's story. I love love the potential of the Ricky Starks route to the final, which we'll cover in the full gear preview. But I uh, this. It's, it's subjective around Ethan Page as well. I think he talks 50 times the game he wrestles. I'm just not seeing enough to see that the whole the whole thing is complete with him. No, I get it. But I've been calling out for some really bold, decisive, um, all-star. I don't know. Are either of them really stars? But you know what I mean? Like, It mm. just feels like it's not with the greatest will in the world, him beating Matt Seidel, is it? And I think Matt Seidel is an absolutely fantastic talent, obviously, yeah. but the role he plays is guy who eats pins. And I've been calling out for less of that, yeah. so I can't possibly criticise this, Hamlet, otherwise I'll be a hypocrite. <laughs> I've got a video package about Jungle Boy, Jack Perry, and the Chisaurus. There'll be more on the countdown, and that's when we get the rebuttal uh, following that, uh, when Soraya is interviewed backstage by Renee Paquette. Um, she says she wants to be the best, and the best is in AEW, and she's just sick of the back and forth. She just wants to do the fight. She does eventually admit that she really does respect Britt Baker. Um, but this is all very, very short indeed. It feels like she's like, I don't be harsh to Saraya because a lot of people are already really burying her. But this felt like, right, okay, God damn it. I listened to the criticism we said last week. I will sort of fold it into my promo for about a split second and I'm going to rush out a shot. Yeah. Is, that, is that harsh? No, um, the way she left the camera was reminding me of when um, Kalisto did after he said good lucha things. Yeah, to get it done as quick as possible, and not because she botched anything. Um, it's weird. Like I, I genuinely worry that the um, the flack that Soraya very unfairly gets in terms of the volume of it after um, one promo isn't this home run thing is going to chase her away from AW. It's going to make think. What was the point of coming back if? I've got to encounter this every single week. She's somebody that has like very, very unfairly struggled, um, you know, with all sorts of abuses of uh, privacy and, you know, a position and things like that. And I just, I don't want that hot take culture to be one of the things that brings her down and just makes her not want to do this anymore. That said, because I want this to come from a place of good faith, there is a pattern emerging where she does uh, promos in cycles of two where she makes a bit of a mess and then tidies it up the following week. And uh, that's that's less than ideal once we're done with the Britt Baker thing. You want to see somebody that can, can like, we're going to get to it. This wasn't John Moxley's best week, but that's a rule-proven exception from what he offers every single week. If you're going to come in and be presented as a big star and live up to that, you can't really do the good one as a way to fix the dodgy one from a week prior. You know, the, the one she did opposite um, Britt, where the, it was far better than the uh, Divas Revolution thing she did. Yeah, yeah. For it, you know, that it just I don't want to see that be a pattern with Soraya. Uh, and I hope I'm like I'm I'm willing to put this down to rust and confidence and things like that because it's just there must be so much riding on it. She'll be thinking about her first match and things like that. But it's just a pattern that I don't want to see repeated. No, I completely agree. Um, we get then a recap video hyping up the um, dream hardcore tag team match on Rampage between Eddie Kingston and Ortiz against Kanosuke Takeshita and Junaki Yama, uh, where Kingston, like he loves his sort of all Japan Kings Road history, um, said that Hiroshi Hase versus Yun Akiyama in the Tokyo Dome in 98 was the moment he wanted to fight Akiyama. So a really great way of um, 
underscoring just how long he's held this man in the most sacred of reverence. And then it's just a really nice soundbite from Kingston. But we're on meets. We're doing this at a distance. We don't have a soundboard. But Hamlet, just off the top of my head, because I want to get make sure that Kingston got the date right and all the rest of it. It's time to play the game! <laughs> I've dug up the cage match entry for that match to which Kingston was referring took mm -hmm. place um, in the Tokyo Dome. Um, it was the All Japan Pro Wrestling 25th anniversary show. So we're going to have a few um, trivia questions That's thrown right. your way um, to test your memory of 1998 All Japan. <laughs> memory? I'd have to put it there in the first place. Right. What was the attendance? I don't know if this has worked or legitimate. It's worked, probably. It's wrestling. But what was it? Not yet all Japan. Not yet all Japan in the egg. In the egg. Soraya's old stomping ground. I'll go yeah. with um, in the egg. I think they'll gimmick it, but they can't take the piss. I'll go with 31,000. I think you've forgotten just how enormous Japanese professional wrestling was in the 1990s because they drew 58,300. Yeah, honestly, between FMW, New Japan, All Japan, and then he had All Japan women as well in the early 90s. Well, has there ever been a scene as fertile in terms of absolute blockbuster promotions that were all very, very different and all huge at one time or another? Do you know what I should have lent on for a crowd prediction there is one of the few things from that era I do have knowledge on was um, the Bull Nakano Alundra Blaze match where Alundra enters on the, enters on the motorbike. And there's just a sea of people wherever you look. So I should have thought more about that. Have you seen the Toyota Kong match from Big Egg? Yeah. Um, oh, mate. Yeah. It's the best opening minute to a match in history. In Big, my Big Egg is like the best worst show of all time because it's a hell of a lot to sit through, but the good stuff is unreal. Absolutely. Um, right. Another, we'll do two more trivia questions based on this. The match to which um, Kingston was referring, Akiyama versus Haze. What star rating did Dave Meltzer give it? Uh so he wasn't as um wasn't as generous with his uh, with his snowflakes back then, but he it is all Japan in the nineties. Four a quarter. Three and a half. What? Just three and a half. Bless him. Idiots, idiots. Get on Dave Meltzer's case. Well, I think... Um, would he have given it five in the Tokyo Dome? Would he? Would he now? Would he have given Dolph Ziggler five if it was in the Tokyo Dome? Potentially. You know, yeah. what I'm learning from the um, cage match data is that, um, unfortunately for Eddie Kingston, he's picked the wrong professional wrestling hero. He's got five, the five pillars, but mm -hmm. what he should have done, Hamlet, was idolise John Laurinaitis because he teamed with Kenta Kabashi... To defeat Stan Hansen and Vader, yeah, and got three and three quarter stars. Yeah, I think I've seen that much. What headlined? Oh, um, it's all Japan and it's the 90s. Uh, Misawa and Kobashi, Misawa and Kawada. Ah, Kawada, yeah. in a four and a quarter star match, which is bang average compared to the six star one they had in 1994. Two big stars in the pages that I'd read last in the monthly magazine. Trying to see, right, if there's like a really funny... Ah, what was he doing there? Wrestler on the undercard. 
Um, we had Jumbo Saruta. He mustn't have done much, but he was. <laughs> he was. Oh God, Saruta! If you're not seeing Jumbo Saruta's work, particularly when he was the big bully bastard who just refused to let the new generation, but it was storyline, mm. um, get over in the early nineties. May get it's absolutely tremendous. And um, no, there's no funny ones. I'm afraid. Wolf Wolf Hawkfield. Who the hell's that? I don't know actually. Um, but yeah, that is the. Uh, That's one of the Kingston tapes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Many love, uh, love Johnny Ace Law, me. Of uh, awesome in Japan. What a fi- what a Finnish guy. What a Finnish guy in WCW. Awesome worker in Japan. And then you just meet this absolute cretinous creep yeah. loser. <laughs> like as soon as you get a proper visual on him, in, like on mainstream television, he's just the worst guy you've ever known. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Looks very much like that. Um, main event time, and it's the women. <laughs> in the last match on Dynamite, it is Tony Storm defeating Anna JAS. They get absolutely stiffed with the commercial break here. Yeah, and it's a shame, and it's it's actually more than a shame. It's not like bloody fate conspiring to do this. AEW made the um, decision to butcher this in picture and picture, uh, so that was a bit shocking. Considering they've done really quite well with the women's division in the build up to full gear, um, at least in terms of representation. Mm. Like in terms of the three match, two thirds of all of this has been either great or really compelling. The other thirds yeah. have been a bit of a joke. But this was another bad night for the women's division in terms of representation and what was actually visible um, on television. But I thought this match was okay. It's the usual champion versus challenger affair in that they always make sure to distribute the ratio of offense and um, so that the challenger does not look like a complete asshole. And Anna Jay even got a halfway convincing near fall, but ultimately, um, Sweet Cheek Music and the Texas Cloverleaf um, gives Tony Storm the victory. Yeah, I am. Um, I have my own cage match research on this specific match because I don't think uh, Anna Jay gets anywhere near the credit she should as a little bit of a prodigy. Her cage match profile is one page long. Mm-hmm. And she does not look like a deer in the headlights wrestler, the likes of which we see, never mind on NXT, on Raw and SmackDown sometimes. She like had something as a babyface, but was clearly finding something more as a heel. The babyface turn was a necessity as part of the Dark Order, but I'm glad that she's getting the flesh out being a heel again because she like wrestles with supreme confidence. This wasn't going to be, obviously this was a very late notice thing with the bunny being off sick. Yeah. So something that she would have had days to think about. So you're wanting to see a wrestler go out there and work mostly on instincts. And I just thought she did with what little they had, because you're right, this was another bad night in terms of profile. But to, like everybody here, right down to Britt Baker, standing back from Jamie Hayter for the face-off after the fact, everybody maximized the minutes. Mm-hmm. Like on the division, we've, I think, tried to highlight that quietly, this is a division on the grow. Um, but... That road is a long and winding and difficult one that can just come to a halt at any given moment, as this week showed. They are trying. You cannot lay blame at the fault of the performer at the feet of the performers here, because Tony Storm's title run has been everything in terms of a babyface champion. This company has needed since it launched, and like every week she comes out, and every week more women try and get over by osmosis, and they do a really good job of it as well. Like I thought this match for what it was, like it had no right to be entertaining in the tiny pockets it was afforded. Yeah. And the face-off felt big time as well. Baker knew it, holding back, making sure not to take any, diminish Jamie Hater. Hater, like this wasn't just a stare down. They, like you wanted them to swing for each other. Hater did not, she walked and Tony Storm had to brick wall herself, stop Jamie Hater knocking her over. 
So even that was good as well. Absolutely. Um, excursion, please, for Anna JAS. Because mm. sometimes she can be inconsistent, um, as you would expect with a performer um, at this stage of her career. But my God, just get the reps. Strike a relationship with the Joshi promotion. In fact, you've got one. Um, so just do that. Just absolutely do that. Absolutely do uh, do that. So the real main event um, time after Excalibur promotes about 40 different matches <laughs> in a single breath is the John Moxley and MGF face off. And oh my God, I did not think this was very good at all, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I don't think it was necessary, which didn't help. But the execution of something unnecessary was way below the level I'd expect from this. And my God, the firm could not be get bigger geeks if they tried. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if they just want giant red herring at this point. Um, look, ultimately, I'm going to be on the edge of my seat from minute one of this match on Saturday night. I think the match itself is going to be fantastic. The one at All Out 2020 was. And think of how much of an achievement that was considering the atmosphere it played out um, in front of. But my God, uh, this is just strange. So we start with um, Moxley. And he's um, not his fluent, ultra-believable self. I think the prevailing take, very generous on social media, is the guy's done so much for our fandom this year. He was ready for that vacation. He really <laughs> yeah. had the most arduous personal experience of his life late last year and has gone from the darkest of low points to the ultimate highs by being in recovery smashing it is pretty much the best wrestler on the planet um, a lot of pressure on his shoulder wrestling a pretty intense schedule because he doesn't just do AEW and he's wrestled more often than not in AEW so those complete opposite ends of extreme emotional turbulence the man needed a vacation and i feel like he still does and he will hopefully get it after saturday uh, but he's a bit shaky he's basically saying stuff um along the lines of i just think mgf is cosplaying is a uh is a real authentic wrestler and uh yeah it's just similar to what we've had before and then um he says he's sick in the head quite a lot and he kind of puts him down he says that he's done his research on mgf he's determined that he's a good singer and he's only really had one win in the last six months and in a cathartic moxie can get away with this sort of way um, he buries the finish of the all out ladder match because it was terrible <laughs> and he falls all over himself when he's trying to compare um mgf's controversial summer to a brian pillman stunt and then he says that the fans will see something special at full gear but he doesn't think MGF has got the balls, but he says, um, let's show them on Saturday. Stokely Hathaway comes out when MJ, uh, when Mox tries to um, summon MGF. I realize my recapping of my notes here is very ironic and hypocritical, considering I'm criticizing John Moxley for the exact same thing. I apologize. Um, so when the uh, firm hit the ring, MGF comes out for the save, lays out um, Guns and Moriarty, and then all the firm just kind of get their asses kicked, disappear, and then the promo battle starts. They could not have looked worse, the firm. Mm. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with them. They're the worst part of the storyline by a considerable distance at this point. Um, MGF basically uh, gives a rebuttal to everything that um, Mox had said. And then when they come nose to nose, Mox gets the name of the pay-per-view wrong. He just he's very casual about it as well it's very strange he's kind of laughing it off this did not feel like two men preparing for the fight of their lives at all 
And in the process, the firm did not look good at all as well. Uh, this is this verged on disastrous for me. I know people were kinder to it, but I really didn't feel like this is what I needed to really get hyped for this match, which I still am because of the good work and the good groundwork paved previously. But I thought Mox in particular had an off night and this just did not feel massively important to me or either of the people involved. Other than yeah. MGF. Like MGF didn't have an off night, but it was hard for him to do his great stuff because the context of this was just not particularly good. So my thoughts are going to go all over the place here because they're all conflicting as well. Uh, so I apologise for that. I watched. I watched this twice. I watched it live. Felt very much the same as you. Just felt iffy. Felt off. Um, whilst MJF has been a shades of grey heel, it stands to reason that the fans wouldn't necessarily go wild for John Moxley really undermining him. Mm. It's not the right time to do that particular type of thing. I think. However, on the second watch, I started to wonder: Will this entire segment? age like fine wine even if right now it just stinks like off milk and i'll tell you why so moxley is this one guy that is we've said it before if regal turns much like with the don Callis kenny omega thing you need a deadly game style setup a twin referee setup to to dethrone john moxley right that's the baby face he is is him never taking mjf seriously gonna prove to be him being right as usual and all being suckers for being taken along by the charlatan Maxwell Jacob Friedman. And is that the point of why they've done this now? Is this all going to make more sense in six months when Moxley returns and finally fights his way back to getting a rematch? Because he has to be the guy that says, like, I'm never wrong. I, I didn't mind that not all of your fans are with me. I'm not CM Punk. I'm not going to lose my rag with you. But I was right. I'm, I'm always right. I'm the answer to every question. I'm John Moxley. Yada, yada, yada. Is that going to feed into this? Because... If you watch, it was the weirdest coincidence. For some reason, yesterday, uh, last night, I've not watched this footage since. I don't know why I did yesterday. I watched CM Punk's return when he beat up um, the JAS when he came to save Moxley. Remember that? Like, yeah. He was unannounced, wasn't he? In uh, Minnesota or something. Quake by the lake. Quake by the lake, thank you. And uh, MJF's running here mirrored that completely, like exactly. He stands on the top of the ramp and he does the two hands. Come on, come towards me. Takes a couple of guys out on the floor, gets in the ring, finishes the job in there. I am more worried. I think this was an attempt of them to be like, nah, you're not getting your aces and eights thing. We're going to get them out of the way. We're going to, as you say, treat them like nobodies because it's going to get to promo time. You can get that worry off your shoulders. Tony Khan listens. He knows that people are concerned about this. I'm more worried now because it was really only a couple of punches. They took their lumps, Sigi. They took their lumps. And if you notice in the stuff in the ring, Ethan Page and Big Cass were decimated by low blows, which they could fake by saying they were wearing cups, which would explain why they backed off, right? So, if anything, sorry, I thought the opposite was true, and they laid a fairly sizable Easter egg when MGF said to Will, uh, William Regal, I don't need the diamond ring. Isn't that right, Bill, or Will, whatever he said? Yeah. The idea the being... I'm going to do the brass knucks instead. Yeah. Well, so again, like that was there. And obviously that's the one thing that Moxley see. It's the one area where Moxley doesn't seem to be looking over his shoulder, even if we all are. But he's got the implicit trust in him. Yeah. So I do wonder if this, all of this segment and every detail, either if maybe the firm thing's got nothing to do with it, by the way, but certainly MJF mirroring CM Punk and being so pissed off that CM Punk blew, his, blew up his spot, right? That's and he's, That's canon now, isn't it, as well? That it's he's come back and like you mentioned it in last week's promo. My big return 
was ruined by a press conference or whatever the line was. So that's out there as a thing that has bothered him. And we know what happens when things bother MJF. The fact that he stole CM Punk's mannerisms for the beatdown and then he stole CM Punk's line when he said, as you lie there, hopefully in as much pain as possible. Yeah. Was that to foreshadow that he's going to do exactly what CM Punk did? And instead of winning the title and blowing up AEW via press conference, he's going to win the title and blow us all up and break our hearts because we dared just for a split second to get on side with him. Is there a little bit of Steve Austin sunning the alliance before Invasion about all of this? And this is why it's so big that John Moxley could see it because he was saying, I, I, this guy's a fraud and a hack and I'm going to beat him again like that because that's what I can do. But he's just not seeing this. It, like, is that how all of this segment is going to age? All that said, if... All of what I'm talking about now is speculative. What I watched was pretty rubbish, actually. So that's me having to make sense of this rather than just enjoying it for what was presented. Yeah, it's one of those where we talk often of how we review an endless episodic serial drama for a living that is almost immune to criticism until it's finished. Yeah. Other people review friggin' great Game of Thrones as it progresses. So, you know... But, but sorry, one more thing I want to add. Sorry, I think we'll play into what you're saying there as well. Did we, this is in my ups and downs, if you want to go check out what coach you can do, I couldn't get away from the fact that we have now had, uh, I think there's one I'm forgetting, but Page and Punk, Moxley and Punk, and MJF and Moxley, where the fans are like divided. This is kind of lame, actually. Like, I want to be, I want to face in the heel again. I, you're not going to believe this. No, we're sharing the same brain. Yeah. Because you're off Twitter. Yes. I hope you are, otherwise you're stealing my takes, right? I, I am, believe me. I tweeted six hours ago, right? This is the third consecutive proper AEW pay-per-view cycle without a clearly defined babyface versus heel dynamic in the main event, and I will not miss the confused smattering of jeers I've been hearing since May. Third, so there isn't another one, because I was trying to I was trying to decide if it's I was... Just getting... Similar, similar. Indoor, of course, yeah. I had forgotten. Yeah. I knew there was one, yeah. So there was Hangman, Punk, Mox, Tanner, Mox, Punk, Mox, yeah. MJF, where you don't know who the baby face is, you don't know who the heel is. I really miss at this point. In context, I've all four. This is my favorite one of the four, but the three have been disappointments for me. I was so like anxious. To tell people, oh, the mox, the mox punk thing's great. Actually, it, I was—I don't know if it was copium or if it was just—it didn't really work. But I love the idea behind it, but mm. I don't think it was received particularly well. I didn't I'm, like. Yeah, I didn't like it. Though. I'm ready for a baby face versus heel thing now. I really am because Mox is getting booed. I don't want Mox to get friggin' booed after the year he's had. Yeah, I, I don't want to be parasocial about it, but he's the one I'm pretty sure is a good guy. Yes. And I don't, I don't want to hear him get booed. Are like, you ungrateful pricks? After the year he's given it, you're booing him because obviously MGF's an amazingly charismatic guy and it's his time and we know it's his time and maybe strapping up Mox after at Grand Slam maybe was a mistake, actually. actually. He's doing this for this reason. Yeah. He's doing it for you so he can facilitate the thing you like. So don't boo him. But yeah. this is what storytelling is dictating that you do. Adam Cole and Brian Danielson, we know to be the nicest men in the whole goddamn world. And they understood the importance of making themselves heels for Hangman Page. Yeah. Like they, they, they couldn't have tried to be babyfaces next to Page. Like so, Moxley is doing this to put over MJF at full gear yeah. because he knows that he's the man and he has to put him over as the man. So maybe don't be an arsehole and boo John Moxley. 
Yeah, I, but then again, like I say, this was telling dictates this reaction. Kind of, that you're asking MJF to be like, I, I don't know, may, like I say, maybe all of this will prove Moxley right and all of us, the fools, for getting on the MJF bandwagon and him getting to laugh at us and not being part of the heel character after the fact. Uh, it's a nice way for his title reign to start, especially if he's got Regal in his pocket and, you know, this is his version of CM Punk's press conference. He scorches the earth, but he does it the proper way and he wins the belt with it and all that. I don't know. Yeah, this I, I was with you though. This played out weird when I like they sold this as a big bit of event television that you had to stick around for, and it was a disappointment on those grounds. Yeah, absolutely. Let us know what you thought of it because I feel like there's a lot of um division about the execution and indeed intent of this main event angle. You can do so under the Twitter link to this podcast at what culture WWE. Whilst you're there, you can follow Michael Hamlet at Michael Hamlet. You can follow me at M. Sizrick. Once again, you can follow us all at What Culture WWE. And um, thanks for joining us. Later on today, we are previewing full gear. Um, it won't be complete, um, obviously, because we're doing it because of our working hours before Rampage. But it should be a good listen. I've got a lot of things I really want to get across on that one. So please do join us for that. Um, and thank you again for joining us. We always really appreciate it. And we'll see you very soon, actually. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. When it comes to clothes, having pieces that you can wear anywhere is a must. That's why American Giant makes clothing that fits your life seamlessly with quality you have to feel to believe. Whether you're stocking up for any weather or picking up a special gift, you'll find an impressive selection of staples to choose from. So whether you're on the hunt for a heavyweight hoodie, a fleece jacket, or a hardworking pair of warm sweatpants, American Giant has what you're looking for. Each American Giant piece is designed to last and created with commitment to doing things better. And all their products are made right here in America. Because keeping things local ensures the kind of quality you'll feel and appreciate for years to come. Discover the American Giant difference today. Shop where anywhere closet staples at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your order when you use code AnyStyle24 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com, promo code AnyStyle24. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.